This week on The Sport Blokes. This week, Ash Gardner catches South Africa off guard as the Aussie dominance continues. Will the rich get richer as the NBL heads towards the playoffs? Should a hard willy be rubbed out? And this week in sport goes for the jugular. Oh, it sure does, Drew. Another great week. Let's go. It's 9.25 on Tuesday, the 22nd of March, 2022. Can confirm. Yes, very good. We hope to have a guest this week. Um, Unfortunately, he's unwell, which is occupational hazard, isn't it? So hopefully we'll have him on board next week. He's a very entertaining, one of the funniest people I know, actually. So very much look forward to speaking to him whenever that may be. Stories are plenty. So we'll do a normal episode instead, albeit he did give us as much notice as he could, but we haven't maybe prepped as much as usual. So we'll still do our best. As we do at the top every week, what caught your attention? What'd you miss? Well, an interesting one for what caught your attention for me, it it just, it really has to be Indian Wells. Rafa Nadal finally defeated in 2022. Yes, took to the final. And it seems so crazy talking about a guy who's in his mid-30s taking to nearly the end of March before he loses his first game. But yeah, an amazing effort from Taylor Fritz taking him down in the final. And, uh, you know, he he beat Nadal, Andre Rublev and Alex Dimonor on the way there. So it was a great tournament for Fritz. It was a really interesting tournament. I mean, you've got talking points like Nick Kyrgios yelling at a guy about Ben Stiller's acting. So apparently someone was giving Kyrgios pointers and he said, don't tell me how to play tennis. You wouldn't tell him how to act. And he pointed no, he at said, Ben no, he Stiller. Said, he said, do I tell him how to act? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he was like... Well, I would say, actually, Ben Stiller, yeah, you should tell him yeah, how to yeah. act. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because he was like, are you good at tennis? No. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> well, then shut the fuck up then. Yeah. Like, it's it's crazy oh, and, and look full credit to nick he is getting a lot better at managing those things previously well he did destroy a racket in that yeah but <laughs> there'd be yeah go back three or four years he would oh yeah he, he would have worse. yelled at that guy there would yeah. have been an expletive laden tirade and eventually he would have probably defaulted the match so it's uh it, it's getting better then we had look there were three pretty tough to watch incidents in the the women's side of the draw you had Naomi Osaka Amanda Nisimova and Victoria Azarenka all breaking down at various points in their matches and for various reasons as well and it's yeah it's it's hard to watch all I can think is that COVID is really taking its toll it's been several years of of people being stuck in hotel rooms doing quarantine they're not getting the preparation that they would normally get. They don't have the freedom in some ways, I guess, when they are in quarantine and stuff. And I guess it's probably getting to a lot of people. I mean, being a tennis player, I imagine a pretty lonely life as it is. You're often only traveling around with maybe a coach or one loved one, not many people. They don't have many support staff. Mm. So and yeah, it would be tough. And look for Azarenka as well. It is worth noting that she is from Belarus and yes, well, exactly. Not going through the greatest timeline no. of Belarus being, I guess, an ally of the Russians who are, not the most popular people in the world right now. We had Naomi Osaka getting heckled by a fan, which ordinarily maybe wouldn't have caused quite the same stir, but you're right. I think with the amount of time that these people have been on the road and just the accumulation, it can be tough on the mental health. And look, it's something that we probably won't go in too much depth on because it is an incredibly difficult topic. There's a few weeds we won't wade into this week. (laughs) A few different issues. And and look, Anissimova... I mean, she said that she was severely sick and decided that she'd had enough. And we can't really say anything more than that because we don't know. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, she was very quick to exit the court. And look, it's obviously a shame to see all three of them struggling through their respective tournaments. And hopefully all three of them are in a slightly better place moving forward. Indeed. I, for one, I'm looking forward to the French Open. I think the clay season is always really fun. How about yourself, mate? Uh, a couple of things. So lots going on in the NFL. Free agency period and, and trade season is in full swing. Cleveland gave up a king's ransom to get to Sean Watson, who is still under a cloud of, of 22 different sexual assault cases. Now, it has to be said that the grand jury did not vote to indict him. So take from that what you will. But there's still 22 civil suits that are out there. There's every possibility that he'll be suspended by the league. So they gave up a hell of a lot for a bloke that there's no guarantee will be able to suit up for his uh, a lengthy period, potentially. So well, that's, that's that's part of his punishment, having to go and play in Cleveland. Yeah, God hates Cleveland. Devontae Adams has gone to Oakland. That one's fascinating. So I would imagine that Aaron Rodgers probably thought that him coming back would mean that Devontae would stay, one of the very best wide receivers in the league. But no, nah, he's decided to join his college teammate, 
um, car over there in Las Vegas and fair enough that you would leave the cold of Green Bay for Las Vegas. I imagine a lot of blokes would uh, be keen to do that. So I think Green Bay might be a mediocre team now without him. Von Miller to Buffalo is huge. Once again, they're going to be one of the absolute favourites to go to the Super Bowl. And of course, my team was involved as well. Yeah, Matt Ryan for, again, I'd made the joke last week, Matt Ryan for a sandwich. Basically. Well, basically, it was like a third rounder or something. So I think it was just one third rounder. So to to get out of Wentz's contract and get a little bit back for him. You got more back for Wentz than you got. Yeah, than, you than what we gave up. Off. And look, admittedly, Wentz is way younger than Ryan, but Ryan is way more accomplished. Yep. So I think... Look, it's a good bridge quarterback. You can't have bridge quarterbacks forever. Obviously, we had Phil Rivers there for a while, but it could be a hell of a lot worse. So I'm okay with this move. I just hope we can draft well and get a good backup guy. If we can get two years out of Matt Ryan and then transition to a guy we draft this this draft, I think we'll be in decent shape. Damn right. It could be a lot worse. You could still have Wentz. Yeah, or yeah, or we could be Cleveland. No, well, Cleveland, if Watson plays, they might be pretty... It's hard to know. I'll tell you what, though. The AFC West, and we won't go into that in much detail now, but the AFC West is absolutely stacked it is one of the strongest divisions in football that maybe as long as i've been following the sport in 20 odd years so or following it closely so yeah can't wait for some of those matchups they'll all be beating each other up and playing each other twice a season the other ones joey oh this is the best i've saved the best for last and i and i've got a weird look on my face because he he has not prepared no well we like authentic reactions so i I purposely keep stuff and i haven't got it on my notes here so you can't see it over my shoulder i'm like what's so funny about this this is nothing up there i'll give you one guess right and i reckon you might get it mike tyson's edible cannabis company has released edible treats in the shape of a monkey an ear Oh, <laughs> how did I not get that? How's that the way? Oh like, <laughs> Where did I get a monkey from? Uh, you know, like, <laughs> well, I remember you telling that story about the gorilla in uh, in, oh, in yeah, Bloody Hell. Right, yeah. I think that was Bloody Hell way back in the day, yeah. one of the early episodes. Yeah, yeah. An ear, oh, my God. <laughs> and is it Evander Holyfield's ear? That's the... <laughs> it's not to scale. I think it's no, just designed to... like an ear. Like, yeah, true. That would be yeah. quite a big... That'd be a lot, yeah. What did you miss, mate? Oh, honestly, man, this was a tough weekend. Tough weekend. You had, what, nine games of football. You had another seven or eight games of NBL. There was the tennis going on. There was... March the, Madness. March Madness, the cricket, the NBA. I honestly felt like I was chasing my tail all weekend. I, I don't even... I don't even want to say what I missed because there was because there was. <laughs> oh, a, look, it happened. You've seen enough. A lot. You've looked at box scores. You've watched highlights, just like me. You know, we we fill in the gaps where we can. That's it. That's it. I'm hoping you missed a little bit less than me. I did. I actually missed the Wildcats and New Zealand game again. A bit of a strategic decision because I knew you were at the game and you had that one covered. So I watched the end of Southeast Melbourne and Sydney. I prioritised watching that. I didn't see the full game unfortunately, but I saw enough to see the horrible ending from Southeast Melbourne. And we'll get to that in the basketball. I would have liked to have seen the Brisbane Port game. But again, there's only so many hours in the day. Stuff has to get done. So yeah, you'd have basically needed to take a week of annual leave just to catch up with this weekend. So, Shui, like you said, footy is back. And like we said last week, it's really crept up on us this season, hasn't it? It has. (laughs) Uh, And well, let's start where we always do with the AFL. Tips. Well, I got off to a great start. Didn't get my tips in in time. <laughs> so I missed out. I honestly don't even know who I would have tipped out of Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs. I may have tipped Melbourne, but I can't be confident. So unfortunately, I got five out of eight effectively. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I missed three of them. And now I know you did slightly better than me. Yeah, I got seven. So the two I dropped, I had St. Kilda over Collingwood and I had Richmond over Carlton. So they're probably two that a lot of people would have dropped. So I was pretty happy with seven. Round started off with a bang. Glad we got that grand final rematch. Well, that's a talking point. What Do you do? You like the grand final rematch as the curtain raiser for the season? What do you think of that? In this instance, I absolutely love it. You could potentially argue that it depends on what each team has done. If you got that grand final out of the way and then all of a sudden Clayton Oliver and Christian Petrarca and Max Gorn all decided to leave or retired then maybe it wouldn't be quite as big a spectacle. But yeah, with those two teams certainly expected to be right up in that top four, it's kind of hard to argue with that as a curtain raiser. I think even if you did have a bunch of retirements, you could probably think about the Brisbane days, that third one, they would have had a few blokes retire. Lynch, for example. 
I think unveiling the banner is pretty cool. So even if your team was a little bit crap, I think that is a nice way to, you know, finish one season and start a new. I, I actually don't mind that. I've heard some people say, oh, better to have those sort of rematches a few more rounds in. But I, I, I like that as a curtain raiser. Carlton and Richmond have dished up shit for decades. Mm. So, so yeah, I'll tell you what, man, those Melbourne Demons, I reckon they might be better this season than they were last season. It's possible. All their bigs are good. Gone. Stephen May down back. And then you have your forwards. Luke Jackson, who's pinch hitting in the ruck as well. Benny Brown, Bailey Fritch. Oh, my God. So many good bigs. Yeah. They're going to be really hard to beat this season. Yeah, and it's interesting because they've got so many guys that they've brought in in different ways. You know, they've sort of gone through the draft with Jackson. They've gone through the trade with May and Brown, two guys that... They got Brown off the scrap heap. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh. But, but this is where we talk about the environment sometimes can be more important to a player's success than their skill and the players around them. I mean, yep. you, you take him from a horrible, horrible environment in North Melbourne and plonk him in with the, the favourites basically at that stage or one of the favourites last year. And, and there's not all the pressure on him as well to do it all himself. So yep, Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, doing it that way. And then also having guys that they've they've had in there for a while and, and that have kind of become part of the, the the culture for quite a while, quite a number of years anyway. They've just they've done it in so many different ways. That that's why I respect this team so much. Oh mate, if they can manage their injuries, they're gonna be scary good. Yeah. So what were the other two games you dropped? Well, I mean, obviously I dropped oh, that one's yeah, one of them. I dropped yeah. the Melbourne Bulldogs one. Uh, and also the Adelaide Fremantle game. Now <laughs> can what I, a game can that I just was. start by saying this? We'll start the season off with a bang. Fuck you, Frio. <laughs> Every single time you go to Adelaide, I pick you and you shit the bed. And the one time, the one time I pick Adelaide, you decide, oh, let's go and win it in a thriller. Dicks. <laughs> well, it's also the way it happened too. So Frio shot out to an early lead, looked like they were going to win comfortably. Adelaide pegged it back. They're almost a different team after half time. And then Frio held on by, well... The skin of Heath Chapman's fist, wasn't it, really? That fantastic save. To have the presence of mind to do that, to having not played even more than seven games, very heady move by the young man. So very, and, and, very good win on the road. And also for the other defenders to follow him in as well. Like, that was was incredibly impressive. I wasn't sure if it was Heath Chapman or if it was, like, I don't know, Peter Schmeichel or, <laughs> or one, of, one of those one of those top quality one goalkeepers. goalkeepers. Funnily enough, I can't think of any goalkeepers. Well, I'm I'm Mark Schwarzer, but I just yeah. know Aussies because I don't follow yeah, soccer. That's but fair enough. Yeah, yeah. But I think I think they actually managed to hold Adelaide scoreless in the last nearly 10 minutes from memory. Um, I swear it was like 82-72. And the Dockers then won 83-82, I believe. So great finish for Frio. Great finish. After, admittedly, they did give up a lead that they maybe shouldn't have. Yeah. The other good stories, I guess, was Sam Doherty for Carlton uh, after the horrible time he's had away. And Paddy McCartan as well. He he had to wait a very long time to, to get that AFL game. But, geez, he was looking like Heath Grundy back there. You and I watched that one down the pub. That was a good game of footy too. The pendulum swung several times in that Sydney Derby. Yeah, it was looking a little bit iffy a couple of times for you, for your Swans. But, uh, I mean, I think most of us expected the Swans to run over the top. Of the yeah, game. I said we'd win by four goals, and that's basically nearly exactly what we did. Luke Parker was magnificent. Ollie Florent was bloody good too. Three goals and 20-odd and possessions, so... I had my eyes firmly on the cricket. I was yeah, well, the, yeah, the cricket world cup. We were double screening. Yeah, yeah. I was watching the the Aussie women take on India and uh, put away a pretty decent win. But indeed, it, it kind of yeah impacted my ability to to take in as much as I would have. Yeah, well, it's it's always harder to to kind of see all the detail when you're down the pub. But mm. yeah, and I think for me the the big sort of tick was seeing Nick Martin's debut with Essendon. That wasn't a great game for them. They got run off the park basically by Geelong, but one of the few shining lights. Yeah. Five, yeah. five goals, 27 touches, 10 marks. This is a guy who certainly as a West coast fan, it's disappointing to see him get through the net and make his way over mm. race, whether it be with West coast or Fremantle, it would have been nice to keep him over here, but there's only so much you can do, I guess. It's true. It's true. And there were some many cases of old faces, new places doing quite well. Chera for Carlton played quite well. Pat Lipinski for Collingwood was brilliant. Jordan Dawson played quite well for Adelaide, I thought. It's really hard to see him in the Adelaide Crows jersey, my favourite player as a swan. But Mabor Chol was great for the goal. Yes, yeah, Chol did play quite well. Yeah, so lots of lots of good performances there as well. Cool. Oh, and we, we can't talk about Dockers and Crows without talking about Rochelle Rochelle kicking five on Taboo. My God. And he actually says that he's a better soccer player than footy player. 
Timmy Cahill tried to get him at Melbourne City. I think he might have even been in the system there. So that was quite a coup for the Adelaide Crows. And I will point out the Rochelle Rochelle thing was completely lost on me because I am someone who doesn't find Seinfeld remotely funny. Oh, it's not like a Leah Leah. Yeah, it's Josh Rochelle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I was looking at you like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. The journey <laughs> from uh, Melbourne City to Adelaide. So there are a couple of really big things off fit. Well, there are actually, there are a few big things. We'll talk about a couple. We won't talk about all of them. The other thing I wanted to ask you, Shui, so Buddy is now four goals away from the magical thousand, maybe the last player to ever do it. Let's face it. They have a home game at the SCG against the Geelong Cats this Friday. So there's no guarantee you'll kick it. But if he does kick those four, should people be allowed to run onto the ground? I personally think yes. And it's one of the few traditions going back to the 70s and 80s and 90s that I think really should stay on. I mean, Even with COVID? Well, actually, yeah, that's a good point. That's what makes it really tricky. All right. right. So, all right. They can run on, but they all have to stay one and a half metres. <laughs> <laughs> and wear masks. Maybe. No, I'm, I'm really conflicted about it too, because it, it is a great spectacle. It's so much fun, the emotion and the energy. and God, yeah. When you put it that way, they can't really, can it's they? It's tough. Well, they, they will. They will. There's, the security guards won't be able to, that flood of people. It's very hard. You can stop one streaker. Well, we've seen security guards have enough trouble with one pitch invader. Imagine even 100. The floodgates open pretty quick. If he kicks it, they will storm the field. To be fair, if you're a security guy and a, guy, and a bloke runs onto the field with his willy out, I'm probably not tackling him. <laughs> like, don't tackle the bloke with his tackle out. Don't tackle the tackle. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, I missed him again. Oh, oh, geez, he's so evasive. Oh, wow. What moves he has. He's Barishnikov. No, I, I don't think I would. But no, it's a good point. Uh, I don't think they should necessarily because of the COVID, but they totally should because you're right. It's something that probably never happens again. So a couple of talking points. Two are kind of linked, and we'll only talk about half of them. One is Luke Beveridge's reaction to Tom Morris in the press conference. Forgetting what happened after that, we'll get to that in a second. Jeez, he started off round one with a bang, didn't he? That first press conference. He, he did. And it's, look, it's hard to stay mad at him because of the fact that he apologised. And it's something that you don't often see done quite as well as no, that. No, the club would have forced him, though. Well, potentially. Yeah. but it, He's got a track record. I'm getting tired of this. He's got a track record. And he's got a track record of going overboard, too. So he's well, talking he about... Massively overboard. Every time, though. Like, in the past, he's talked about people like, oh, how can your partner sleep in the same bed with you? And... Like a black soul is a phrase I believe to used once. Like the hyperbole is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Pull look, your head in. Look, Bevo. the gutter journalist stuff is well. <laughs> actually, I'm not even. I'm not yeah. even convinced that's necessarily true. It was about match day lists and who would be playing. Mm. There was a bit of foxing. There always is. What are reporters expected not to report? Surely the leak in the club at the dogs is the big issue here. Why the hell was, was Tom copying it for the leak in the dogs? Well, I mean, maybe he's potentially taking his frustrations out on Tom and yes, decided to sort of let whoever's the one that's leaking it know that, hey, this is how I feel about a guy who's not even leaking. If I find out who you are, you're going to be yeah, well, over the lap getting a decent spanking. <laughs> they do things. Naughty, naughty, <laughs> no. <laughs> something like that anyway I, I think that's how they'd handle it and then the very next day there were comments in a tom morris private whatsapp discussion i believe about one of his colleagues and some pretty dicey stuff there i don't think we want oh, to go into too much in, detail in, over the top incredibly personal stuff which yeah it's it's since been released on social media a, a tweet by that particular person saying well ironically it's leaks again right yeah. one of his mates has leaked against yeah. him but this person has come out and said, hey, like a couple of years ago, this would have impacted me a lot more than it has now. So look, good on this person for dealing with it in such a mature way. But obviously, yeah, we don't know where anyone is there in their personal lives and how they, they're feeling mentally. It's just... Well, she did nothing wrong. Yeah. That's the sad thing. So when you get dragged into something through no fault or no, not even your actions, uh, it's tough. Yeah. But anyway, we'll, we'll certainly take a good stride forward, let one go through to the keeper on this one. It's just, he's not worth talking about. What I will say, though, is that the amount of people that got on Twitter after and said, oh, well, I take back everything I said about Bevo. I know, that's ridiculous. They're two separate matters. Mm. Bevo still overstepped the mark. Okay, it happened to be Tom Morris, but it could have been any journo. 
So I find it really weird that people are prepared to change their mind on the Bevo incident based on the fact no, that the no, Tom Morris incident. Not at all. It's weird, but so the amount of times I saw that comment, it's just I find that very odd. No, look, I, as I say, I think the yeah. Whilst it's probably pretty obvious that the club would have certainly directed him to do that, I think he delivered it well, and I think I think he meant it. I don't think you could necessarily say that he stood up there and was just reading off cards because because he was forced to. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, his team just got spanked in a rematch in a game that was probably incredibly important to their early season aspirations. They wanted to prove that the grand final wasn't just a, a complete fluke by Melbourne in terms of the way that they handled them. And they did. They got they got beaten, not like super handily, but four goals is four goals. I appreciate the pressure cooker of coaching, but to call a bloke a disgrace about 10 times... Even once you've taken your mic off and as you're walking out the door and I don't know, it yeah, was too I, much. I think I think some of it was just the fact that he said, are you proud of yourself? And Tom was just going, yep. He's like, all right, fair enough. Then I'm going to hit you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's hard. Now the other one's Stewie, the Willie Rioli bump. You're the Eagles fan. What bump? <laughs> and what do you call it then? Call if it, not a bump. I call it play on is what I call it. <laughs> well, that's what the umpires play call on it. transition to a goal. No, that it's such a tricky one. I've watched it a number of times. I, I can't tell where his eyes are. I, I Yes, okay, he's bumped him high. And, and he's this, left his feet. And this this is where it's so frustrating. It's not even a free kick. Like, if the umpires can't distinguish between a free, like, a, a play on and something that should actually end up in the tribunal and something that's, that's on the ball. It's not even an off the ball thing. Yeah, like, yeah, well, that's right. Off the ball is one, you're right. It's, it's that, amazing. That's where I find it so fascinating that these umpires can't get something like that right. <sighs> And it was basically a two-goal turnaround because Raul would have had a shot on goal and instead they went the other way. Waltzed it in. Yeah, yeah. and they waltzed it in because Raul was on the ground and you know what I mean? So they rebounded really. It was a really good... I only saw the second half, but it was a really good seesawing affair, that one as well. But Gold Coast stood up. Not easy to win in Perth. It was a good win. Oh, it'll be easy to win in Perth this year. Well, yeah, it'll be easier than... It's tricky. I'm trying to open both eyes here, but I, I copped a decent poke from Rory Sloan before. Um, <laughs> that's a whole nother kettle of fish. No, I... I think for me personally, I don't, I've seen a lot worse. So I don't, I don't think it warranted a suspension, but again. I thought it should have got a week. I was amazed that they even had the audacity to appeal, but then they won the appeal. So what would I know? But I, I thought it definitely should have got a week. I thought he left his feet. He kind of turned his body, turned his head. I, I think in today's day and age, I, I think that probably deserves a suspension. Yeah. Can and I, I would say the same thing if it were Buddy or any other Swans player, I would have said that deserves a week. I would say for Buddy it's a week, but no, he, look, <laughs> for he, Buddy it would have been two. He's got a hideous track record. Oh yeah, look, well no no, but but okay okay, but taking like take that out of it. Let's not take out you know precedent and point value and whatever. You have to. No no I know, but but okay, a clean player in their first game, even then I think it would have been a week for me. Fair for enough. Me. Fair enough. No, I, I'm not sure. I, I think a player with a record, yes, but. Can I just quickly, though? I'd well, a player with a record might have got two weeks, you know. Maybe. Yeah, but, Mitch, yeah. Mitch Robinson, maybe. Um, <laughs> look, I, I do have to mention, uh, and full credit to Callum Chambers, former West Coast Eagle, for this, uh, well, certainly half of this tweet anyway. said it was great that it was able to have his case heard before July 2023, <laughs> obviously in reference to the severe length of time it took for the uh, the drugs thing, which yes. we're not going to talk about because no. it's a polarising conversation. It is a polarising conversation. Yeah, he tampered with his sample. Um, I'll leave on the Gary Lyon quote. I like this one. We're told the Eagles are thinking about appealing this. You know what they should do? They should appeal the leniency and say, we're embarrassed and for the good of the game, we'll add another week on. Well, that's not what happened. We have seen the AFL appeal decisions. They appealed the Toby Green one. By the way, I got that wrong. I said he'd be out six weeks. I forgot that he'd already served one of those weeks last year in the finals. Yep. So he was be out the first five weeks. I'll tell you what though, GWS still look bloody good without him. Mm -hmm. I think I underestimated him. Not bad. Yeah. Just the one qualifying final in the AFLW, the Freo Dockers had a very good win over North going into Melbourne there, winning by 38 points. Another really good effort from a number of players. Bowers, her excellent self. Cara Antonio, her excellent self as usual. Hayley Miller is just, she's improved in leaps and bounds. She is quite an impressive player, very impressive young lady. She speaks very well as well. So yeah, the Dockers, look, Adelaide will be a tough task. But prior to that, there'll be the Lions and the Pies. We'll keep an eye on that as well as we head towards the AFLW Grand Final. So, Shui, the second test ended in a draw. The third test is ongoing. We've decided we'll probably come back to that when it's done next time we record. But some thoughts on the second test? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. Uh, firstly, I, I can't believe we haven't looked at this yet. The 
Osaka Batteries presents TikTok Benno Kadir Trophy. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I didn't realize that either. Fuck off with this rubbish. I'm sorry for all the expletives this week. It's been a very frustrating week, but it sounds like a dance track. Like Benny Benassi featuring TikTok and Calvin Harris presents DJ Augustine with cricket. Uh, oh, DJ Augustine. Very nice. I like, like it. Enough already. Benno Kadir Trophy. That is it. End rant. Mm. No, fair. Yeah. Uh, very frustrating. Well, sponsorship's important to sport, isn't it? But that's it, a bit it, ridiculous. It is, but like, yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah. Where, where, where are we going to stop? You end up with like six paragraphs. You're going to lose the first day just announcing <laughs> the name of what the trophy is. <laughs> well, it ends in a draw anyway, so <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Very, very true. So for anyone who has missed the score, Australia 9 declared for 556 and 2 declared for 97. Drew with Pakistan 148 and 7 for 443. This was a really fun fifth day, and it was... As, as we sort of mentioned on last week's show. We dared to dream. After, well, after the first couple of days, it looked like it was just, yeah, petering out to another boring draw. And we did. We dared to dream. And, um, well, I say we dared to dream. I'm still frustrated at the team. I, I, I'm there so, are a few drop catches. I'm, oh, I'm, you mean the coaching? I'm just, I'm still so conflicted yeah. by this. Like, my heart's saying Barrack for Australia. My head's just saying don't. <laughs> I don't know. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's tough. I'm barracking. But look, it's good when you get to a fifth day and, again, all three yes, of, of, uh, yeah. are actual. Well, well four with four, a tie, yeah. yeah. Technically all four, yeah. yeah you yep. could say were conceivable at that stage. But, yeah, it just it has to be said. Baba Azam, an absolute masterclass. Oh, he's just magnificent. Defended outrageously well. Chewed up 425 deliveries, which was absolutely invaluable at that stage. Well, how's this? So he batted for 603 minutes. Only Mike Atherton with 643 minutes is a longer fourth innings stint to save a test. Yep. So there's so many great stats about him. And you know, we love a good stat. So, and I love watching him play. He's so good. To oh, watch. He's beautiful. To yeah. watch. So I've got a couple of things. Largest fourth inning score from a captain. Yeah. Which is, which is very, very cool. Okay. Largest fourth inning score from a Pakistani. Most deliveries faced by a Pakistani in the fourth innings and so on and so on. There's so many of these just crazy stats that you could just go on and on. And if I'm not mistaken, he's one of few blokes who has a T20, an ODI, and a test ton. Yeah, okay. There can't be many. Wouldn't be too many. No, yeah. not very, very fair. But it also has to be mentioned what a, a classical innings we saw from Muhammad Rizwan as well. Oh, so, yes, yes. So Azam obviously was the mainstay of there, but Rizwan had just his second ton ever. Some glorious drives in the second last over of the match to bring it up. And I think even the most diehard Aussie fan kind of wanted him to get there because he's, I, I was looking at it going, oh, he's a 91. We're, we're not going to get the wickets. Let's no, just, yeah, you, you, you like to see come them on, up. Don't come you? on, do it. And it was, yeah, it was just a magnificent knock from him. And, and it really did it. it. It took a little bit of the wind out of the sails from an Aussie team that really were coming quite hard at the end. Yes, yep. And as I say, a couple of drop catches as well. So we can't pile on Usman too much because if we weren't for the runs he scored, we might not have been in that position, of course. But uh, well, yeah. to be fair, Azam was dropped twice on consecutive balls as well just yeah, before the take. Yeah, so, yeah. so it wasn't just him. Steve, no, no. Steve Smith dropped Shafiq on 20, really regulation slip yeah, catch. That was so it, very unsmith like. It was a subpar fielding performance by the Aussies. And I think what we, we sort of saw was how close they got. It, it does. It poses that question. Do the Aussies need to just pull the pin on we're never going to force a team to follow on again? <laughs> well, oh, look, it's it's a tool in the toolbox and sometimes you need to use it. You can't be too scared just because you're playing on the subcontinent. Yeah. So, yeah. This is it. Like, we're not facing Vivius Laxman. Yeah. We're not facing Raul Dravid. But honestly, it doesn't matter who you're facing. If it's the right tactical decision, you've got to make it. You can't be scared. Yeah. I, I think this was the time to pull the pin and just say, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna throw caution to the wind. Okay, nobody probably saw Pakistan batting for that long, and I think it was the second time in the history of Test cricket that a team had saved a match facing more than a thousand deliveries. Wow, yeah. And yeah. the only other time was that that timeless Test where England batted for two hundred and eighteen overs Gee. and would have probably won if their boat hadn't been leaving after the tenth day. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh dear. So like it, it was a monumental effort from Pakistan and almost a superhuman effort. But geez, that that's the time. You've got them demoralized. You've bowled them out for 148. That's the time to really put the foot down and say, okay, if you're going to beat us, you are going to have to bat solid for two and a half days or, or the best part of two days anyway. And if they do that... Full, oh, full power to them. Full, exactly, yeah, full yeah. power to them. Yep. But uh, yeah, it's it's this is the fourth time in the last year the Aussies have failed to bowl a side out in the fourth innings of a test. And Oh, it is a road though. 
It is well, a road. I, I think that the pitch conditions have to come into it. I, I know what you're saying. It's not a terrible attack. It's it's hard to bowl the team out for 148 on a road, though. Well, yeah. So I, the, yeah there yeah. was something going on there. Nathan Lyon still looked dangerous. Swepson didn't bowl great, but he, he certainly still had moments where he... He threatened. had a good taboo, yeah. He, yeah. he, he threatened. And so, for me, I just look at it and I say, look, there's no excuse for not sending them in again. And, I mean, what did they do? Two, two for 97. I mean, that's pointless. If you're going to go in go in and really put it away. But they didn't really do it. I, I, I don't know. It just, it made no sense to me. I think you just, you've got to make them follow on. Yeah, no, it's certainly one that that uh, you hope that they'll have a good hard think about going forward. I hope so. There's every reason to believe the whole series will be drawn nil-nil. couple of stats quickly though. Nick Savage tweeted that Alex Carey's average has increased from 20.20 to 120.00 since he fell in the pool. Hmm. So maybe it wasn't such a bad thing. Hmm. Should, we should push everyone in that pool then and and cam green said it at the time can't believe the media were calling for his head in the really early days at one point a little bit there he got to 15 plus test wickets 500 plus runs and 10 plus catches in just 11 matches tying with ian botham to put it in perspective it took steve war 14 matches for our young listeners steve war was actually a very handy bowler back in the day Callison Stokes, 15. Sir Richard Hadley, 17. Mark Ward, 20. Sean Pollock, 22. Capital Dev, 24. And Imran Khan, 34. The list goes on and on. So that's such an impressive. And Nathan and I are still waiting for our opportunity to get our baggy green. It's probably not going to happen. But... <laughs> yeah, look, no. You never know. Women's World Cup, Shui. Some uh, all sorts of stuff going on there. Yeah, I, again, it's it's been a crazy week. We were speaking last week about how England looked like they were all but out of it. And... All of a sudden, you fast forward a week and England are looking more likely to get in and New Zealand are pretty much done. Yeah, and maybe England will start peaking at the right time. Who knows? And I've said this right from the start. England are the only side in that that I I fear as a fan of the Australian team. You look at that top order of Tammy Beaumont, Danny Wyatt, Heather Knight, Nat Siver. These are four women who can absolutely obliterate your lineup and just take a game away from you. They've got the best bowler in women's ODIs right now in Sophie Eccleston. And your shrub soul's been, you know, doing some pretty decent work these last couple of games. They have just so much versatility in their side, and I would not want to be playing them. Well, it's like the tournament, isn't it? Survive and advance. As long as you win enough games to get into the next round, it doesn't really matter. You wipe the slate clean. I mean, in the men's T20 final last year, Australia shut the bed against England and went on to win the tournament. So if, as long as they get through, anything can happen. Now, just going back to New Zealand for a second and, and certainly the, the tale of their woes, the Kiwis have lost Leah Tahuhu to a pulled hamstring. So oh. She's their, their top wicket taker. Oh, I didn't see that one. Sophie Devine's got back issues. She pulled up really lame in that game, had to go off injured, came back and made four runs and just really struggled, didn't field. So, oh, she's such an important part to their batting lineup. Yeah, okay. She yeah. is. So you, you couple those two. They've also lost Jacob Warren, their assistant coach. He's had to go home because his whole family's got COVID. Yikes. So, yeah, it, it just, unfortunately, it's not looking great for them. And they have to rely on a lot of things to go their way. So they need the West Indies to lose to South Africa. That probably could happen. But they also need either India or England to lose all their remaining games. Now, India have one game left against South Africa. In fact, I think they've already qualified, funnily enough. And England have two games against Pakistan and Bangladesh. So yeah, they should win them. It's not likely that that's going to happen. Well, Pakistan only won their first ever match in this tournament very recently. So, hmm. yeah. So, realistically, I mean, Australia's already sewn up their top spot. They handled South Africa today in a, a pretty high-scoring affair. They're six from six. And that India finish was maybe a little bit trickier in the end than it should have been. And unfortunately, Lanning missed out on her ton as well at the end there, which was yeah. a bit of a shame. But they got the win. That's the main thing. I think the reality is it'll be Australia, South Africa, India, and England to make it. I, I see the West Indies falling out. I they've, suspect you're probably right. They've yeah. lost three games. Their run rate is hideous. So I think them and England will finish the same on points. They'll probably finish it on six points each. And the West Indies will miss out. And yeah, those four sides will advance. Hats off to Ash Gardner for that catch today. What an impressive effort. Gee, she's such a good player. All-rounder, just brilliant. I love the, the look of almost embarrassment pulling that one down. It was a, yeah. Even the young lady batting, Mignon Dupree, she had a big smile on her face too. <laughs> so sometimes it's just like, I'm hungry. Not now. much I can do about that. I'm hungry now. I want filet mignon. <laughs> no, that honestly, that that was yeah one of the greatest outfield catches you will ever see, male or female. And now, this week in sport history. 
March 21st, 1953, a playoff game between the Boston Celtics and Syracuse Nationals saw them combine for an unwanted NBA record when they were whistled for a combined 106 fouls in the game. 12 players fouled out in all, seven from the Nationals and five from the Celtics, and only two players in the game actually finished with less than five fouls. Dolph Shaves, who played only 16 minutes, and Bob Branham, who played just six. Syracuse finished the game with two players on the court who ordinarily would have been off it, including Al Servi, who finished with seven fouls. The Celtics had four players finish the game with five fouls, including Bob Cousy, who scored a career-high 50, including 30 of 32 from the free-throw line, the most ever made by an individual in any game, regular season or playoff. The teams combined to take 129 free-throws in the spectacle, with the Celtics winning 111 to 105 in a fourth OT, clinching the best of three series 2-0. Now, it may sound off having a guy commit seven fouls, but it happened a bit back in the 1940s and 50s. In fact, 10 of the 12 instances where a player has committed seven or more fouls actually happened in the brief span between 1949 and 1953. In fact, Lou Hitch and Don Otten both committed eight fouls in a game on separate occasions. Now, I can hear you all saying, but Nath, that's old-timey. Well, amazingly, there was one instance of a guy committing seven fouls in 1999, and it didn't even result in too many players being disqualified. Cal Boldler of the Atlanta Hawks played three seasons in the league, but in a 131-95 to drubbing by Portland, the scorekeeper didn't keep count correctly and allowed Boldler to commit seven fouls. Truly farcical. Truly, truly. I've got to admit, I don't remember him, do you? Uh, not that well. I, I've heard the name, but I couldn't have told you anything about the guy. It's in that dark period where we did not get much basketball no, on telly over absolutely here. absolutely not. But yeah, just the fact that that could actually happen. Yeah. It's uh, a yeah, big yep. belief. March 22nd, 1989, Buffalo Sabres goaltender Clint Malarchuk suffers a near-fatal injury against the St. Louis Blues when Steve Tuttle's skate accidentally slits his throat, severing his jugular vein. This is one of the craziest freak accidents you're likely to see on the ice. With 4.43 left in the first period, the Blues' Rick Mayer sent it a pass to Tuttle and Sabres defenseman UA Krupp's only option was to knock Tuttle down, which is what he did. Malarchuk dropped down to play the pass and the skate ended up in the worst possible spot. If you're not the squirmish type, I highly recommend checking it out on YouTube. It is crazy, crazy how much blood comes out. There's something about blood on ice, which is quite stark, isn't it? It really, really is. However, it clearly wasn't Malachuk's time. The Buffalo trainer, Jim Pizzutelli, happened to be a former combat engineer from the Vietnam War and was trained. It took him just 14 seconds to get to Malachuk and apply pressure to the jugular, which ultimately saved his life. Insanely, this game actually continued with Malachuk's blood staining the ice right in front of the goals. He would receive 300 stitches and was back playing 10 days later. I guess there's no blood Zamboni, is there? <laughs> well, no. Zambone marrowy? Oh, dear. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, dear. <laughs> it's a stretch. A little bit. I only make that joke because I know he survived as well, of course. Yes. I wouldn't have made it otherwise. Now, Malachuk's story doesn't stop there. In October 2008, he was going through a real bout of depression. His wife had moved into a hotel because he was a really tough guy to be around. Malachuk was on a massive drinking bender, and when his wife came by to check on him, he decided, that was that. I've had enough. So he picked up a rifle, put it to his chin, and pulled the trigger. Shucks. Amazingly, though, the rifle had been loaded with what they refer to as shorties, a shortened version of the 22 caliber bullets that would usually go into that sort of a rifle. And the bullet ended up coming to rest millimeters from his brain. On top of that, the usually patchy cell reception was good enough that night to get a 911 call through, and the town paramedics were free to get him. He ended up doing a six-month stay in a hospital in California, which got him back on track, and now he helps men deal with their own anxiety and depression. What an amazing turnaround. Thankfully, a good story. Uh, yeah, absolutely it is, and that's the only reason I would mention that. Because, and it's the only reason I've made jokes. Yeah, because we yeah. know that it, it turns out in such a great way. And Jeez, talk about well and truly not being your time. Oh, yeah. March 25th, 1936, the Detroit Red Wings defeated the defending champion Montreal Maroons 1-0 in the longest game in NHL history after two hours, 56 minutes and 30 seconds, or the equivalent of nearly three full games, crazily, a whopping 11 minutes, 44 seconds ahead of the second longest ever game. The game took 116 minutes of overtime across six overtime periods before Mud Brunito, great name, amazing name, <laughs> scored the winner at 2.25 a.m. Yes, that's right. The game started on the 24th, but it finished on the 25th. 
Brunito was a very unlikely scorer for the winner, having only scored twice in the 24 games he'd played in that season, his first in the league. And Red Wings coach Jack Adams didn't give Brunito his first shift until the sixth overtime. It's also worth noting that this was 1936, so they didn't have the Zamboni coming out to clear the ice between periods, meaning that players had to deal with the playing surface being chopped up like crazy. This was also pre-Gatorade, of course, so the Maroons were sipping coffee and brandy between periods, and Red Wings goaltender Normie Smith lost nearly five and a half kilos in the match in reportedly making 92 saves and actually shut the Maroons out across 248 minutes and 32 seconds in the series, an all-time record. Another one of the more astounding things about the game was that there was a grand total of just 18 penalty minutes across all of that time. The Red Wings went on to win the Series 3-1 for their first ever Stanley Cup, a feat that they've accomplished another 10 times since. The Maroons, on the other hand, shut their doors just two years later due to financial concerns and are the only Stanley Cup winning franchise in history to later fold. With the sort of skills that players possess nowadays, even two or three overtime games are rare, but... Just five years ago in 2017, there was actually an eight-overtime game between the Storhamar Dragons and the Sparta Warriors of the Norwegian League in a game that spanned more than eight and a half hours that saw players eating pizza and pasta during the breaks to carb load and combat cramping. Crazy. Elam ending? <laughs> <laughs> Thought the same thing when we went through these. Thought the exact oh, same thing. Dear. And March 26th, happy 32nd birthday to outside linebacker Von Miller. It's been a sensational career for the certain Hall of Famer, an eight-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro, four-time second-team, a member of the 2010s All-Decade team, and most importantly, a two-time Super Bowl champion in 2015 with the Denver Broncos, where he won Super Bowl MVP, and the 2021 with the LA Rams. Miller has 115.5 career sacks, the most of any active player, and sits equal eighth all-time in sacks per game with 0.77. Now, going back just quickly to his college days, in 2009 at Texas A&M, he led the nation in sacks and was fourth in tackles for loss and was named first-team All-Big 12 as well as first-team All-American. Amazing. And possibly the most interesting thing about him is his middle name. Sean, I believe it's pronounced. Yeah, I... It's B apostrophe V-S-E-A-N. So Sean. So happy birthday, Von Sean Miller. Happy birthday indeed. <laughs> this week in sport history. So Shui, let's get on to the NBL. And oh my God, first of all, I've now seen the full Perth, New Zealand game from last Monday, the one that was over in Tassie, not the one that was here on the weekend. My God, it was absolutely game of the season. It was incredible. The Hugo Besson, 17 points in the third quarter. You don't have to put on a French accent every time you say Besson. Well, (laughs) Gazy was doing it every time. That's partly why I did it. And he had Corey Homicide-Williams in absolute stitches. The co- like what was funny was after that night after we recorded, I saw on Twitter all these people, and the next day as well, before I'd seen it, all these people were writing to Andrew Gaze and Corey Homicide saying, Oh, thanks for the call. I'm like, I can't think of any situation where people have thanked commentators for the call. But then I watched the game and it was so entertaining. I can totally understand why they did. Because yeah. oh my goodness, if you don't see any other game this season, watch that game because it was incredible. Bryce was amazing, Vic was amazing. And as I say, Hugo had 17 in the third quarter alone. Now, you got a first-hand look at him on the weekend, Stewie, on Sunday here in Perth, the first of the nine home game stint. I reckon he's a genuine lottery pick talent. What do you think? He was fucking average in that game. Yeah, okay. I didn't say it. Yeah, <laughs> he was, he's only young. He was average. Three of 15 from the field. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. He, okay. he did have one of the most gorgeous finger rolls I've seen in the NBL, though, I will say sort of looked the guy off and floated through the air and just, yeah, just laid at home. Oh, was, I, I'm a big fan. It was nice. Look, we did a little bit of a, a crossover with Andrew from the NBL Pocket Podcast. I was able to go along with him to the game and so great to be there in person. Even half full, the stadium was so loud. Oh yeah, it would have been so, rough. So, so loud. And yeah, it just, it was so nice. And full thanks again to Nick Tan for allowing us to use his tickets. It was brilliant to be so close to the court, literally sitting probably five metres away, well, maybe a little bit more, but still very, very close to the action. It was, ah, place was rocking. It was a weird game, though. The first quarter was one of the most entertaining quarters I reckon I've seen all season, even including the game that we just spoke about. Yeah, that's a huge call. New Zealand came out on fire. They put all their energy into it, but 
with Andrew and I having a chat, we just both agreed, look, they're going to run out of legs It's eventually. often the way, yeah. It's a long trip to get across to Perth. No one's made that trip for a while. So they've kind of forgotten that it, you, well, yeah. your, your legs run out in, the, in that second half. And look, Yanni Wetzel dominated that first quarter. And Thomas Abercrombie was superb as well. And they just did nothing after that. So the last three quarters, they did very, very little. They had, yeah, as I said, nothing from, from Besson. They had very little from Dieng. He was two of eight for five points. Finn Delaney had 11 of his 14 in five and a half minutes of the third quarter. Other than that, he was barely sighted. So, yeah, it was just one of those games where the first quarter was great and New Zealand kind of came back to the mean a little bit and, and they kept it close probably up to about maybe the two or three minute mark of the, the last quarter and then Perth just ran away with it. It was, look, the rebounding was probably the most exciting thing for me. Obviously, Vic Law superb again in the mid-range. Bryce Cotton did Bryce Cotton things. It, it was just great to watch them. And the, the role players did their part. But and weirdly, the chemistry is almost better with no Frazier. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. yeah. Absolutely it is. But to win that rebounding battle 42 to 23 against a team with Yanni Betzel. Yeah, that's 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 a domination. It is utter domination. Yeah, so wow. I think the, the rest of the league is on notice now. Perth are at home. They're about to make a big stand. Oh, yeah. Perth it would have to take something cataclysmic to not finish top two. And the top the top spot is a really good chance too because reinforcements might be arriving. John Brown the third. John Brown the third. Looks a bit like John Jackson. Plays a bit more like Roselle Ellis. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably... Based, uh, on, uh, the, based on the very limited footage I've seen in fairness, yeah. I will say this. I'm not sold at all on his handle. So we don't want to be putting... Oh, no, yeah. yeah. He's a typical powerful, yeah. like an old school powerful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't want any of that sort of stuff. But for me, the thing that he fills is the, the gaping hole in this whole team. He's the energy guy. He's going to go after rebounds. He Play is D. a defensive beast. That's all the team needs. Yeah, we need a big guy who's going to rebound, who's going to throw himself out of bounds to save a ball. And not get pissed off if he doesn't take a shot. Well, exactly. Yeah, he'll, a lunch pail guy. He'll be happy to feed off lobs. He's yeah, he, you know, stuff. Put him in pick and rolls, he'll finish, that sort of stuff. Yep. I think one of the things that I did hear the guys on overtime talking about is that Perth have been running a, a very small ball sort of offense with a lot of three-pointers, yes. which I think they've actually tempered quite a lot in the last few weeks. They really, are, it's coincided with the six-game win streak a little yeah, bit, actually. Which I'm, yeah. I'm really impressed with. And I love the fact that the, the team has been able to adapt from that. So, yeah, look, as long as they, they don't sort of try and turn Brown into a three-point shooter because it's not his game. No. He could be exactly what the Wildcats need. Now they've just got to try and get him released from frigging. Yeah, <laughs> from because Russia. he needs to play play seven and there's eight left in order to qualify for finals. That's right. Yeah. So, But no, Perth looking very good. So as I mentioned, I haven't seen the game yet. It's a shame that Besson didn't have a great one, but I'm still fairly confident that he is a first-round pick. And he reminds me of the Bogdanovich boys. Okay. But more athletic. Maybe not, so, yeah, maybe not so much the one in Utah. Maybe the, the one that was playing for Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. He's, but I, he, that, I think his game will translate to the NBA really well. So massive game coming up on the weekend. If Perth handle their business against Tassie, they'll be a seven on the trot and the Sydney Kings uh, eight on the trot will be coming in. So one of the two biggest streaks in the league will be broken. That Sydney Southeast Melbourne game. What a skid by the Phoenix, hey? What a weekend. Yeah. And it, again, it seems weird talking about Sydney being able to execute down the stretch and make decent enough plays and play smart. So I don't even think Sydney were particularly good. I just think Southeast Melbourne were worse down the stretch. But they were smart. Yeah, well, yeah. Because one of the things we spoke about off air was the inability for Southeast Melbourne to think their way through it and go, oh, we need to foul because they're under a two-second differential between the game clock and the shot clock. I found the ending for the Southeast Melbourne, the whole thing was very bizarre. So they're down one. They've got the ball. They basically run an ISO to Mitch Creek, who's pretty much triple teamed. It was a horrible shot. Not a good look at all. No screens, not enough movement, really poor final shot. They brick that. Sydney get the rebound. And then, as you say, they don't foul them. What the fuck are they doing? They basically let the whole shot clock go. It's just completely baffling. And then left themselves less than a second to hit a game winner. But can I also say full credit to Sydney for actually having the nous to not do what so many teams do and fire one up with five seconds left on the shot clock. No, they didn't. The one-legged shot from the corner that Adams took wasn't fantastic. It, to me, it was the best shot he could have taken. Yeah, well, they got the rebound in the end. That's that's at the very end. So, yeah, I just I can't believe. I don't know what the hell Southeast Melbourne were thinking. They had a shot at that game if they just fouled. Now, Jarell, Who needs the ending? Jarrell Martin, 
He tried to miss the second free throw, accidentally made it. <laughs> so it didn't matter anyway. There was there's point four seconds. No, left. but the, the thing that I have the biggest problem with is the the play that Southeast Melbourne ran out of that timeout. You have got Xavier Mumford, who has been absolutely killing it all day, three or five from three at that stage. So he's shooting a good percentage. He somehow didn't even have a shot in the third quarter. And you're running a play for Isaiah Liafa. Yeah. Like, what is going on here? Yeah, uh, yeah. Simon Mitchell, I, I don't know what you're thinking. It wasn't a great end of game for him. And, and the reason that I say this as well is because, obviously, when a play has been run, you kind of see the guys going through the motion of what's being called. Oh, yeah, I've got to set a down screen, and then he's going to roll around. Mumford actually came up through a screen from Joe Chi. Wani Swakula Bullock was guarding him and actually went under the screen. So, yes. so you had Joe Chi, you had Brandon Ashley, and then you had his man who was Swakula Bullock. If All he needed to do was pop out. Mumford turns, he's got himself a wide open three yep. to win the game. And again, there wasn't much time left, but they could have it could have been done. Eight tenths is more than enough time to catch and shoot. Yeah, I, yep. I, I just I don't understand again why you would run a play for a guy like Isaiah Liafa, who's not exactly proven himself to be clutch. And then what do you do? You throw the ball at his feet. Yeah. Horrible, horrible pass from a point guard, it has to be said as well. Yep. I don't know why you don't have a tall swingman inbounding in that situation for starters. The, the, the whole game was mismanaged at the end. And now the Phoenix are on the outside looking in. Illawarra have jumped into the top four. and Well, I will just quickly go back as well. Who would probably have been taking that inbounds pass had he been playing? Ryan Brokoff. Yes, true. So not yeah. having Brokov gives you no six foot eight good passing sort of guy to, to pass the Who ball. Who can see over a defender. Yeah, yeah. against yeah. that height. But yeah, moving on. I mean, that 103-97 loss to Illawarra, that's going to make it hard for the, the Phoenix. I mean, they've got a very favorable run. That's probably the one thing in their favor. They get to play the likes of Adelaide and Cairns and a few of those That's guys. true. Yeah, they do have probably one of the softer schedules on the way home. So you could certainly still make a case for them making it, but... Geez, they just, they don't look good. Well, their margin for error shrinks and shrinks with yeah. every loss. Yeah. The Illawarra game, I mean, they got smashed off the park for probably 90% of that game. They were down by 19 with seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. And this is the reason why I'm still not sold on Illawarra. They get to that position and they allow the Phoenix to get all the way back. And they're up by three with 30 seconds left. And thankfully for them, another late game, Joe Chi, Mr. Simon on defense. Mm. This time it wasn't hand down. It was just he was in the keyway when he should have been at the top. And Rathan May steps into a three and puts the game away. So, yeah, I don't think either of those teams are particularly convincing. And I would be wanting to face either of them. I would be over the moon getting either of those in the first round. Yeah, look, there's still two months of the season left before playoffs, basically. So it will be interesting to see what happens. But if the playoffs started today, it's a three-horse race between Melbourne, Perth and Sydney. At this stage, yeah. Uh, it's a good win without Xavier Cooks too. Yeah, well, this is it. And, and also, again, just going back to that Illawarra Southeast Melbourne game, the other reason, and, and this is one that Corey Homicide Williams brought up, the other reason that game is not impressive is because they beat a team that they're expected to beat without Brian Brokov at home by six. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Give me either of those teams. I would be licking my lips. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, one of these days I'll watch overtime. I haven't seen an episode yet this season. What do you make of Cleveland's celebration after beating Tassie and Scott Roth's reaction? I don't mind the reaction from Cleveland just purely because this is a team that has beaten Illawarra twice recently. So, And this is a team that they are fighting for that last playoff spot with. They've beaten them twice. Roth is a guy who has definitely worn his, his emotions on his sleeve. He celebrates like that all the time. And this is the thing. If you're going to give it, you have to be able to take it. Yeah. That's my view very strongly. So I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with Roth going to shake his hand and Cleveland pushing him. Yes, away. that wasn't cool. That's a dick move. And I, I do think Cleveland realized the error of his ways. I did watch the entire kind of handshake lines and it, I think he did kind of go, oh yeah, that was a bit shit. And I think Gorge kind of corralled him and said, look, just let sleeping dogs lie. And yeah, yeah. move on. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, look, it's not a good look. You don't want coaches getting... And we've, we've seen it before. Joey Wright's been involved with that sort of stuff. That, I mean, I can't think of them, but there's been multiple coaches over the past few years anyway that have kind of been involved in altercations with players. And you just, you don't need it. Stewie, if I played on that team and Antonius asked me to get him something, like, for example, oh, Nath, can you go and grab me a drink? Oh, yeah, sure, mate. I'd get him the drink, and as I handed it to him, I'd say, Cleveland, this is for you. 
How, how Whenever long, I give him anything, that's I would always say it every time. How long He'd be have sick you been holding on? No, I don't. Just occurred to me today. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it just just came to my mind. Yeah. Well, after a good game, I would tell him that Cleveland rocks. Yeah, Cleveland right. rocks. <laughs> that's, that's so there you go. There you go. Now we don't talk about the bad teams very often, and I talk about a bad team because of a bad stat. Although this is kind of a sweet and sour stat. So Adelaide had back-to-back games where they won and then lost by 25-plus points after beating Cairns by 26 and then losing to Melbourne by 27. Thanks to NBL facts, it's the third time it's happened. In the early stages of 96, they lost to the Hawks by 32 and then beat Canberra by the same total. And then if you go even further back, and this one's crazy, In 1985, they won a semi over the Newcastle Falcons by 48 and then lost the first game of the grand final by 26. So an incredible 74-point swing. Wow. We have looked at big swings over two games before. I can't remember when it was, but yeah, that that is definitely one of the biggest ones I've seen. In fact, it might even be the biggest of all time. Yeah, that's crazy. And NBL Facts, great follow as always. Amazing. Now, I don't think anyone was really expecting any different kind of result other than a 27-point win over Adelaide. But one of the things that is kind of scary right now, and we've just talked about that three-horse race, is the talk about some of these people that they're looking at as options for filling in these remaining import spots. Now, Yudai Barbo was one that we talked about earlier in the season. His name has been thrown out. Oh, so key to their championship last year. Does have some traction. A really great defensive guy. One of those good wing... Finishes kind of like what Brad Newley was maybe 15, 30 years ago. I don't know. When when was Brad Newley young? Like 19? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but an even better defender. Uh, uh, I mean, just such a good defender. Such a good defender. Yeah. Really, yeah. really great at traveling before hitting half court threes. <laughs> Not dirty about that. That was a that was I was at that game. That that was a turning point. The the big one though that I've seen thrown out is Gerald Green. So the Oh, f- that'd be amazing. Former dunk comp. Former dunk comp champion. Great play with the Boston Celtics, the Minnesota Timberwolves. He was drafted out of high school, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, I think he before was, the yeah. rule change back, yeah. So he's, again, that super bouncy, really catch-fire, three-point sort of guy who, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if he came into an NBL game and hit eight threes and a half. I tell you what, with that level of talent, there would be a very interesting chemistry experiment, but you'd rather have that headache than not have the oh, player yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. too much talent or not enough yeah. Well, yeah. you can take that <laughs> so yeah it, it's going to be a very very interesting week off the court in terms of who signs where because we're getting to that pointy end of the season where guys won't be able to so nba Street, i don't have much at all this week i'll be honest i did not watch one single game of nba in the last week since we last recorded i watched a shitload of ncaa tournament i see you've got a bit there i've only got a couple of weird stats i have been watching every lakers game which is oh, really fucking why? painful. Yeah. Well, in the hope that I Because they're always on. No, <laughs> well, not, not even so much that. Just in the hope that I would catch LeBron passing Carl Malone uh, of course, yeah. for second all-time on the scoring list. Fair enough. And wouldn't you know it, the one day I sleep in... Always. ...is the day that the Lakers have an early game and I wake up and LeBron is four points past it. So very disappointing to miss out on seeing that. But look, he's the one tire on the pile in LA that's not currently burning. <laughs> he is doing, yeah, just doing amazing things at 37. I'll, I'll give you a few, a few things. And one of the things I actually saw today, funnily enough, so LeBron is now leading the league in scoring at 30 points a game. The highest full season scoring average for a guy in his 19th season is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. 22? 14.6. Oh, wow. Okay. I thought I saw it. It must have been a season or two before that. So when he was 37, he, he had 22 points a game. Oh, I see. Okay. Shout out to NBA Bo. Yes. Yes, indeed. But uh, yeah, when he was in his 19th season, only 14.6. So LeBron set to nearly, well, more than double that, actually. Oh, and I saw your comment to NBA Bo too. So of course, Kareem didn't come straight out of high school. No. And he had a very, very good collegiate career as you, as Luau Sindor in UCLA. So Yeah. Yeah. So now he's sitting, what, 1,440 points, I think it is, shy of Kareem's record. That's less than one season of even 20 points a game. And you've got to consider that this is his 18th consecutive season, averaging more than 25 a game. And he wants to be there till Bronny gets there. So, you know, he's not going to do a Tom Brady. No, barring injury, it's probably going to take him about 60 games to do this. Now, first player in the history of the league with multiple 50-point games after turning 35. First player in the history of the league with a 50-point game before turning 21 and after turning 35. He's now ranked second in points, seventh in assists, and 39th in rebounds. So he's got a total ranking, if you add all three of those Yeah, I saw this one. Of 48, which passed Kareem for first all-time. 
And for a guy that was supposedly a hybrid of Jordan and Magic, he's got more points than MJ, and he's now 105 assists shy of Magic all time. So you'd think you'll get that potentially by the end of the season. Yes, yeah. I mean, obviously, MJ and Magic had... Shorter careers. Yeah, yeah for different reasons. Hmm. But, uh, well, yeah. He's been an impressive player. Yeah. And no matter how you look at the Jordan versus LeBron argument, one thing that Jordan will never have over LeBron is the longevity and the extended period of excellence Dominance, over, yeah. over that much of a period of time. Who knows what Jordan could have done at that age, but his numbers had already dipped down towards the 20 points a game by the time he hit. Well, if Jerry Krause hadn't broken that team up. <laughs> wow. Who knows how many though? Love you, Jerry. Now I've got some weird stats, Julia. I see you've got some other notes there. Let's let's run through that first. I mean, my thing that I really just wanted to highlight was what a crazy couple of weeks it's been for high scoring games. Like we've had Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant become the first teammates ever to drop 50 paces in back-to-back games. Yeah, Kyrie had a 60. And then Carl Anthony Towns drops a 60 the night after that. Yeah, yeah. Tatum had a 54. Sadiq Bay had 51. LeBron's had multiple 50s. Since the last day of February, we've had nine 50-point games. What do you reckon with Kyrie? Do you reckon the fact he's not playing every game helps? He would have been pretty fresh. Yeah, uh, it, it certainly couldn't hurt. <laughs> I mean, you're not playing, yeah, five games in seven days or, or whatever ridiculous schedule a lot of these teams have. So, yeah, definitely being able to play two games a week, it's going to help the body. It will, it will. But, geez, nine 50 since that's nearly one every second day. That's incredible. Mm. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Yeah, it just is. It's so much fun to watch. And it's great to see guys like Sadiq Bay, where that was that was a day where it was Orlando and Detroit was the only game on. Yeah, that's because the tournament kicked off that yeah. or the, the round of 64 kicked off. Yeah. And I saw multiple people on Twitter say, Oh God, what a shit day in the NBA. And it's like, well, you missed Sadiq Bay. Yeah, man. I'm surprised they even scheduled a game. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that 51 ends up being more of the Tony Delk variety. Or of a better player. He's still got a long way to go, hopefully. Like, so, Like Willie Burton. Yeah, yeah, that's or right. What Tracy, sort of... Tracy Murray. What sort of career will he have? Time will tell. But uh, Kevin Porter Jr. A couple of weird stats, Shui. Tony Snell had a one-rebound game in 31 minutes. No other stats. Tony Snell just dishes up these bizarre games. It's, it's going to become the award. It's like, <laughs> it, uh, yeah. who wins the Snelly? Basically. Oh, Stewie. Yeah. A segment could be in the works here. Yeah, oh, good. It's on. The it's Snellies. On. The it's Snellies. On. And DJ Augustine had 20 points on 100% shooting on both field goals and three-pointers, so any shot from the floor, and no other stats. Bizarre. Mm. Yeah. So really quickly, we'll talk about the NCAA. I've watched the early games, the early games in America. So they're on at midnight here in Perth. So my nocturnal nature is well documented. I'm working from home, so I don't need to get up early to drive into work. So I can stay up a bit later. So I've been watching those midnight games. They've been pretty enjoyable. They haven't been the best of the best, but there have been some good ones. North Carolina, Baylor was an interesting one. North Carolina with the upset there. Baylor had resorted to these weird fouling tactics, but the refs weren't calling them. So they nearly came back from an enormous, I think think it was 25. It was a massive margin, but North Carolina got over the line there. Houston, Illinois was an interesting one for a little while there as well. It was good to watch Kofi Coburn for the Fighting Illini as their big center, like one of those traditional kind of shack guys right down low. That was quite entertaining, but they didn't get over the line, unfortunately for them. Michigan's become just the fifth team to make five consecutive Sweet 16 since 1985. Do you want to have a crack? Nope. (laughs) <laughs> it's all the ones you'd expect so duke north carolina gonzaga and kansas on- see i would have expected kentucky to be in there kentucky yeah well they, they had a, they've been upset early in in early rounds of like um mm. a couple of years bill self's now in his 11th 30 win season for the third most in division one history behind mike shashevsky and roy williams uh, a couple of other things olivia miles became the first freshman man or woman to get a triple double in the tournament in notre dame's win over massachusetts I tell you what, I saw a little bit of that game and she, her court vision is amazing. Some of the passes she was throwing, like she'll be a very handy WNBA player one day, I suspect. The Big 12 had the first round of plus 138, the biggest point differential of any conference in any round in NCAA tournament history. Not as many upsets as we would have liked the Peacocks. Yes, go the Cox. <laughs> They're doing all right. They're still around. So yeah, probably more seeds than there would be normally. Although you were talking about the, the bracket busting. There was no perfect brackets. And I gave that incredible stat about the NCAA brackets, I think, the season before last. Well, I think the last game of the first round, or certainly the, the Peacocks game was one of the last of that first round. 
and there were still two perfect brackets at that stage. But the fact there were only two that early yeah. is pretty amazing. But both of those people had different teams in that game. Yes. So one of them got through perfect, the one that picked the Peacocks. So only one perfect in the whole. That's incredible. And then they got done yeah, the yeah. very next day. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, there's the chances of getting a perfect bracket is... You'd, insurmountable you'll win the lottery more well you're often. better off you're better off what was that stat i gave you're better off picking a grain of sand from the beach yeah that you wanted you yeah. know what i mean yeah. like it's it's unreal it's ridiculous it's probably been maybe a little bit more predictable in the women's as well there's still a couple of 10 seeds so creighton is still sitting there south dakota but often in the women's game the, the good teams will beat up on the lesser teams yeah. yeah i mean if you're talking about like the nc states the louisville's the south carolinas they're still in their stanford so all four of the one seeds are still in there. South Carolina, geez, you showed me that win they had. Yeah, it was, what was it, 79 to 21 or something like that? It was ridiculous. Oh, that, the quarter was, by quarter analysis, geez. It was 44 to four at halftime, which is Ouch. just, yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. Unfortunately for some of these 16 seeds that get in, it is basically just a case of your cannon fodder. Yeah. And yeah, look, for some of them, it's just a case of being there and, and that's fair enough. Oh, it's still a massive career achievement. It's something that they'll all be very proud of. As yeah. they should. But look, the likelihood of a final four being all ones, twos, threes, and four seeds is looking pretty likely. Much more likely on the women's side. And again, that's always the way. Yep. All right, sure. You know what that music means. What are you out for? Well, I'm out for just getting to the weekend for starters, but I really don't mind the look of GWS and Richmond on Sunday in the AFL, Perth and Sydney on Saturday, and Melbourne United and Illawarra in the NBL are probably the big ones for me. How about yourself? In the tournament for the blokes, Arizona, Houston, Texas Tech and Duke, and Gonzaga, Arkansas, are three really big games. Swans and Cats, will Buddy kick his thousandth? Nope. No, I don't think he will this week either, but hopefully he will. Gold Coast Melbourne is an interesting test for Gold Coast. Obviously, I expect Melbourne to win, but it's an interesting test. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes. Sport Blokes.